This is the Innovation Engine Podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you talks with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include emerging trends and technologies, corporate leadership, company culture, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global's headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be looking at taking the long view. Why being able to think long term is a powerful tool for anyone looking to innovate successfully. Why every one of us is a designer, whether we know it or not. And what the Halloween asteroid can teach us about probability, chance, and playing the Powerball. Here with us in studio today to discuss those topics and more is Pete Kale. Pete is an innovation expert who works for a federal government agency based in the D.C. area that we could tell you the name of, but then we'd have to kill you. While that may be a bit of a stretch, much of the work Pete does is classified, so we'll have to just leave it at that for the purposes of this podcast episode. But take it from us that over the course of his career, Pete has worked closely with a number of leaders in the design thinking field, including some of IDEO's most well-known and highly regarded experts on design thinking. Pete has a special interest in envisioning what the world will be like many, many years from now and applying that thinking to solving problems in today's world. He's also an active member of the DTDC meetup founded by Stephanie Rowe, who was on the podcast last year, and he's a longtime listener of the podcast. So, Pete, welcome to the studio. It's great to have you on as a guest. Yeah, it's great to be here in your posh surroundings. Um, uh, congratulations. You did a great job of trying to make my boring, mundane job uh, sound pretty interesting. So, uh, no, good not on you. <laughs> well, thank you, and, and thanks again for coming. Let's kick things off today, Pete, talking about the future, because it's a topic that fascinates you greatly. What excites you the most about envisioning the future? Probably the thing that uh, is most exciting about the future is that it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and, you know, that sounds uh, kind of obvious, but when you start to think about things in the future, you realize that um, there's all kinds of opportunities and possibilities that exist, especially once you start letting go of your assumptions about what has to be. So one of the things I'm, that I'm interested in is not only the future, you know, near term, the next five, ten years, but actually much further on in the next hundred, next thousand years. Uh, one of the reasons behind that is that <clears throat> the further out you look, the more you can let go of some of your basic assumptions. So uh, one of my um, experiences was when I was a young man, I was uh, in... Germany, and I had grown up with the Cold War. And when I was a young kid, the, the Berlin Wall was erected to keep people from fleeing the communists in, in East Germany. Uh, and I grew up with that, believing that it had to be that way and that it would never be any other way. And then in 1989, I happened to be in Berlin when the wall actually came down. And I remember it clearly because even as it was coming down, I wasn't 
fully believing that it was coming down. I thought surely the the uh, regime was going to crack down and and put it back in place. And now, if you go back there, I went there on a visit a couple of years ago. You can't even find it. <laughs> it's there's no trace of it uh, unless you know exactly where to look. And so, when you think um, long term, there are a lot of things that you can realize will change at some point. Mm-hmm. And do you have a, some people paint kind of a dystopian picture of the future and you can find people, Elon Musk included, who are terribly concerned about what artificial intelligence you know, may do to the human race. Do you, have, do you have a positive vision of the future? Well, my uh, positive vision of the future actually comes from my interest in design. So mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to work with some of the world's uh, best designers you know, over the course of the last 10 or 15 years. And one of the things that was really powerful to me was how you can realize a possibility and make it real in the world. And so I, I have watched a number of dystopian movies and, and heard some dystopian um, ideas about what the future will bring. But I think that as we're just now beginning to appreciate what design can do, I think we can shape that future. And so that's what's really exciting to me. Uh, one of the icons I, I like to mention is uh, a guy in in Venus, Florida. He's about to turn 100 years old. I think it's on March 13th. His name is Jacques Fresco. Mm-hmm. And he envisions a, a future where technology has advanced to the point where it can provide pretty much everything humanity needs so that we'll uh, even get to the point of eliminating the need for money. He, he calls this a resource-based economy. And it's, it's a really interesting idea, but it sounds pretty unrealistic. And so one of the things that I like to think about is how could you have a merging of a future where the technology is that advanced and yet uh, the humanity involved still has purpose and meaning and can function in a way where it all works together. So I think one of the big challenges in, in sort of the nearer future is what's the future of capitalism in, in that context? As we get to the point where machines can do more and more things, then how do we allocate human effort and what is that human effort directed towards i think those are pretty pretty exciting uh things to explore yeah very nice so you talked about working with some of the world's most famous designers pete and you're in the world of design so to speak although i suppose that according to your definition of design we're all designers in some form or fashion so can you share your definition of design with listeners and how you came to it I've thought about that a lot, and it's hard to come up with a really crisp definition, but uh, something along the lines that I favor is creating value in the world. And it involves not just creating that value through existing means, but coming up with a new idea and and conceptualizing it so clearly that it can be made real in the world and and show value. Mm Mm-hmm. So a lot of times uh, people will think, you know, I have, I have a good idea. But oftentimes what you find is the idea alone isn't something that can be made real. And so what you have to do is 
formulate a number of other ideas about how to make that clear and specific. And then once you have a very clear idea, you can then um, cre create it in, in some kind of real form. So I think the process of design is really about refining, I think mostly refining an idea to the point where it makes sense in terms of being something people want, mm -hmm. something that has a viable business model, uh, and something that's technologically feasible. So that's really the sweet spot, the intersection of those uh, to find something of value. Yeah, and I'm sure requires uh, a certain level of persistence for someone who's willing to try something out and see if it works, get feedback, go back to the drawing board, try it out again. It's a, it's a really great point. Uh, one of the things people miss about design is that it does take iteration. So not just thinking of a bright idea, but being able to put it in some kind of form and then realizing that that form isn't likely to be perfect. So it needs to be matured, and, mm -hmm. and that requires feedback um, from your users, stakeholders. In, in the experiences I've had, iteration plays a really dominant role. There are some people who can, who can sort of listen to your uh, need and actually go and create something on the first try. That's extremely rare. It really requires a lot of um, coming up with a lot of ideas, testing them, and refining them. Yeah. So let me ask about an organization that you turned me on to that you're fond of called Long Now, L-O-N-G-N-O-W. So what is the mission of Long Now, and what are some of the subjects they've covered in seminars recently that appealed to you the most? Uh, they're a pretty, pretty interesting organization. I believe that they kind of got started back before the turn of the millennium, uh, and I don't know, you might be familiar with your technical background of the Y2K problem. So mm -hmm. back when I was first uh, getting involved in computer programming, we would often uh, have a shortcut for abbreviating year, month, day. And the year would only be two digits. And it turned out that it wasn't going to work when the year turned from 1999 to 2000. There are a lot of things that were going to go haywire. And, and that prompted a lot of us to think, about, you know, we should have seen this coming. We, we were thinking too short term. We didn't, didn't realize um, that these things might be around for a while. And so the Long Now Foundation <clears throat> was encouraging people to start thinking in longer, longer time horizons. And so uh, Danny Hillis and... Stuart Brand and a couple of other folks, Alexander Rose, created this organization to really emphasize that we ought to be thinking longer term. One of the really cool projects that they came up with was uh, they're in the process of building a clock that will last for 10,000 years, 10,000-year 10, clock, and it will chime every century, and it will uh, have, have a bigger... Uh, finale every millennium, but it really causes you to think, okay, how, how can we build a clock that would actually last that long? Where would we keep it? Uh, how would we maintain it? So it's really cool, I think, to uh, 
to be thinking in those terms. <clears throat> and another thing that they, uh, they created, well, there are a couple things, actually. Uh, they have a project where they're going to um, preserve the world's languages called the Rosetta Project. I had the opportunity when I went to the U.K. on a recent trip to see the Rosetta Stone. Uh, so being able to record and, and have an archive a lot of the languages that may may vanish over a long period of time is is another cool idea, and they also have one where uh, they they created a betting site where you can uh, make bets that are very long term type bets. One of my favorite ones of those involved um, Ted Danson, who was a, a Boston Red Sox fan, uh, and involves the Curse of the Bambino, uh, where if you're a, if you're a fan. The Boston Red Sox, once they traded Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees, they had not won a world championship since then. And so Ted Danson had bet that the, that the Red Sox would win the World Series before the men's soccer team, the U.S. men's soccer team, would win the World Cup. And I thought that was a pretty cool bet because it's one of those things where it'll probably be a while before either one of those things happen, although... It turns out that uh, actually a couple of years ago the, the Red Sox did win the world championship. But it's that sort of long-term view. It's like, okay, eventually somebody's going to somebody's gonna, uh, pass that barrier. Uh, and there are a number of other uh, bets that are on that, on that site that kind of when you, when you look at them, they really cause you to, to reflect on, okay, how long can something really last? Yeah, so so that URL is longbets.org and they do have some great bets that are currently on the site. I, I don't I don't think they're for money. I don't think you can wager but or maybe people Well, actually uh they do have uh they do have a a way to wager money for charity. So Okay. That actually is kind of a good and bad thing because uh in in many ways when once you place a bet it, it kind of forces you to constrain your thinking to your lifetime because right. you may not ever realize that bet. Uh, but there are some challenges out there that uh, that are on the order of a thousand years um, before they think. Uh, for example, one of them has to do with uh, uh, how long will the U.S. Constitution last in its current form, and that's a thousand-year challenge. But nobody's taken them up on the bet, I think, because nobody's going to be able to collect. <laughs> Yeah, they also include uh, bets on things like Apple will Apple will release an electric car within the next decade. To the Large Hadron Collider will destroy the Earth, um, which would be an interesting one to attempt to collect on. To uh, my personal favorite as a journalism school grad. By 2030, the apostrophe will have functionally disappeared from American English. Uh, if that happens, I don't know how we'll tell the difference between its and its, but, you know, maybe somehow we will figure it out and the world will go on. No doubt. Okay, Pete, let me ask about uh, a post that you wrote on your website not long ago about the Halloween asteroid. For listeners that may not be familiar with it, what is the Halloween asteroid, and what does it have to do with why you occasionally play the Powerball? The Halloween asteroid is a, a large space object uh, that flew by the Earth on Halloween, uh, last Halloween. Uh, 
And the interesting thing about it was it was actually a fairly close approach. It wasn't uh, as close as the moon, but uh, not too much further, which is actually pretty close. Uh, the thing that amazed me about it was that we didn't even know it existed until three weeks before it flew by. And I've always had an, a kind of an interest in the notion that there's a, there's an asteroid out there with our name on it <laughs> waiting uh, at some point to hit. And, you know, the, I think normally people would kind of dismiss it because the odds are very, very small of something like that occurring. But what fascinates me is if you wait long enough, something with a very, very low probability is guaranteed to happen. <laughs> and so you could actually just look at the surface of the moon and you can see all the collisions uh, that it's suffered over its existence. So there are a lot of um, objects out there that, um, even though they have a small chance of, of getting that close, um, someday, it's just a matter of how long that, that will be. And, and it's easy to say, well, not in my lifetime. But it, it's interesting that we are getting, just getting to the point uh, where we have the technological capability to do something about it. And so that's one of the things that interests me is as we start to pay attention to these things, uh, what political dynamics will either allow us to address the problem or or continue to ignore it. And you can look at something like uh, climate change as, as one of those types of things that uh, is already upon us. And, you know, it's the question is, well, what will we do about it? Um, so in terms of lottery, it, it's just a matter of uh, if you think about this, and, and I don't know if this helps people stretch their minds at all, but, uh, you know, the conventional wisdom is, well, well, you shouldn't waste your money playing the lottery because the odds are so minuscule. But I always come back to the uh, fact that, you know, even if a couple cycles pass, somebody wins. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it may not be me, but somebody's going to win. And so even, even something of very low probability uh, can end up happening and, and is sure to happen if you take enough chances. Yeah, well, I had a few chances at the power at the one billion dollar Powerball, and uh, unfortunately, it was not quite my time, but it was somebody's time. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, let me ask. This is not a question that we talked about, but as, as you've talked about uh, some of the things that you have over the course of this episode, I'm curious to hear if you have any just off the cuff thoughts on it. There are some things that we look back in history upon and think. You know, I can't believe that people used to actually do that and think that it worked. So in the field of medicine, for example, I, I would think of maybe like the practice of bleeding someone and the thought that that would like help you get rid of a flu or pneumonia or whatever the case may be. Is there anything that, that you see in the world around us these days that you feel like in 20 years people will look back and think, gosh, I can't believe that this used to happen and people thought that it worked? Wow. Um, that's tough. <laughs> I'll give that one some thought. Okay. All right. We'll come back to it if, uh, if anything pops into your mind over the course of answering these next few well, questions. Well, I would, I would actually – one of the things that surprised me is actually kind of the inverse of what you're, what you're talking about is I am totally amazed that there's a comeback of vinyl records. It's like, <laughs> how did that happen? It's like, I can't believe that. My, in fact, my own kids, you know, college-age kids, uh, are actually pulling out my old vinyl albums and – Putting, on, putting them on the turntable that barely works anymore. And it's like, how, what was the dynamic that, that I didn't see there? 
<laughs> okay, nice. Well, Pete, let me ask, when we when we got together to talk about possible topics for the podcast, one of the things that you talked about was some of the great work you'd seen in the field of design thinking from some of the concepts pioneers at places like IDEO or specifically at IDEO. So what's the correlation between design thinking and long-term thinking? Well, that's actually really difficult because design thinking is almost, you can think of it as grabbing the future and bringing it to the present. There are possibilities that people haven't realized, and all it takes is the ingenuity to bring it together and make it real today. Uh, if you actually were going to design think the far future, you know, you'd really have to go into that far future and, and, and grab the people who, who are living in that world to be able to, to use that, that idea. What I think makes it reasonable to think in, in terms of design thinking is to look at something like Walt Disney, who himself was uh, before the term evolved, but he was, he was certainly a design thinker. Uh, and he had a concept, and, and I think uh, your audience might be interested in going onto YouTube and, and looking for Walt Disney's original concept for Epcot, which he uh, had envisioned as an experimental community of tomorrow. Exper- sorry, experimental prototype community of tomorrow as an actual living, breathing city. And what I actually, Disney, uh, shortly after he produced that video, he passed away, unfortunately. And his successors at Disney, I think, decided to go a safer route. And they created more of an exposition than an actual living, breathing city. But the, the concept for for having a city of the future was really fascinating. And I I think of that as, as my example. You, you would have a difficult time actually designing a far future. But what you could do, and I think what I am particularly interested in, is designing an experience of the future that would be something people would want to, want to do. I've always been fascinated in time travel. And I, I've now realized, you know, after spending nearly 60 years on this earth, I've traveled through time. You know, it's just been a slow journey. <laughs> but uh, I had a much different vision of where we would be at this point in my life in terms of the world and, and uh, technology than I had, had imagined when I was younger. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm particularly fascinated about designing the experience that we might have. Yeah. And and you write about uh, a lot of these topics and thoughts on PeteKale.com. Uh, you have a, a post that, that we talked about, about the Halloween asteroid. You've also written about the uh, fall of the Berlin Wall and how it influenced the way that you think of the future, which you referenced a little bit before. Um, so if folks out there are interested in going to your site to check it out, uh, what beyond what I just what I just said there, what are you looking to do with the site and, and what might people keep on coming back for? Well, I, I hope to uh, write much more about different aspects of a future world. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I, when we were talking over lunch, I mentioned that I had a post that I was, I was uh, working on for, uh, for Jacques Fresco uh, and uh, I ended up trashing it uh, accidentally. But yeah, so 
there are a lot of different aspects when you think about a future world that a lot of times you don't get to see in the uh, in the movies. You know, people's conceptions. Uh, I think the the rock stars of kind of a future vision tend to be architecture and technology, but there's a lot more. There's a lot of social things, a lot of economic issues, and that sort of thing that I think are really interesting to explore. So I'm going to be writing about uh, many of those different aspects. Yeah, a future without currency would certainly be a uh, far different future from the world that we live in today. It, it makes my head hurt, but you know <laughs> that's part of the, that's part of the part of the idea is to uh, stretch your mind. Yeah. Okay, nice. Well, Pete, you're a longtime listener and supporter of the podcast, for which I'm eternally grateful. Some of the folks that we have had on uh, have been recommended guests from Pete Kale. Uh, but as a longtime listener, you'll know that one of the things we like to do on the podcast is to try to give listeners tangible advice that they can take back and apply in their everyday lives. So you were just kind of alluding to what you might do to stretch your mind or what listeners might do to stretch their minds. Are there certain exercises or things you would recommend anyone listening do to help them future think about the world could or should be like? Yeah, I, I, uh, one of the questions I like to ask is, you know, how far can you think? And I, I think the best thing that I can recommend as an exercise is actually go to the Long Bets site and look at some of the challenges that are out there because it really causes you to reflect on, well, how long will it take for something, anything you can think of, to really happen? You know, whether it's the fall of the Berlin Wall or the, the Red Sox winning the world championship, you know, how long will something really last? One of the uh, items on there is the U.S. Constitution. You know, how long will it be before we actually rewrite it? You know? Yeah. Uh, it's... It's probably not going to be 10 years, but it might be 1,000. So uh, just just a, a way to, uh, again, stretch your mind, think about things that in, over a long period of time, even though you think they're, they're solid now, not for 1,000 years. Yeah. Okay, nice. Well, uh, as we mentioned before, the uh, site where Pete does a lot of his writing is PeteKale.com. You can also connect with him on LinkedIn. Uh, his title is uh, Head of Future Concepts, I believe. That's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> it varies depending on who I'm talking to. But yeah, I'm the lead for, uh, for future concept exploration. Okay, very nice. Well, fantastic title and uh, great person. Thanks so much, Pete, for coming in today and talking with us about thinking about thinking long term about the future. Oh, it was a pleasure. I I had a blast. Very nice. If you'd like to learn more about Pete Kale, you can visit his website at www.petekale.com. You can also connect with him on LinkedIn to learn more about his experience. And if you're in the D.C. area, you can often find him at the DTDC Design Thinking D.C. Meetups. Thanks once again to Pete Kale for joining us this week, and thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode of the podcast when we're excited to welcome David Burkus back to talk about his new book, Under New Management, how leading organizations are upending business as usual. Among the topics we'll talk about are why it's better to be employee-centric than customer-centric, how scrapping performance reviews helped Adobe reach new heights, 
and what the org chart of today should look like. Thanks once again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. The Innovation Engine Podcast is recorded, produced, edited, and published by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. For more information on the company or our services, please visit our website at www.3pillarglobal.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or SoundCloud. And you can also download our very own iOS app in the iTunes App Store.